I was sitting, I was sitting there thinking, um, during the prayer time, I was thinking, Oh Lord, uh, praise you for leading this way. Um, I know that this is the message that the Lord has led me to for this session. Uh, when I think about you guys, I think about, um, solid biblical leadership, fervent work for the Lord, um, evangelistic zeal over the years, uh, faithfulness, um, a heart to be established and solid in the word of God. Like I think of all of these things. And if you look at John chapter five, you see a beautiful example of how Christ went about his work. And so I sat there like during this prayer time, um, thinking, oh, this is great, Lord. Uh, this is perfect. Like this is a hard working assembly. And we're going to see an example of how Jesus Christ went about doing his work for the father. And of course, there's going to be so many lessons for us to be learned. So, um, so if you would jot down the title, the way Christ worked, the way Christ worked. And we'll look at John chapter five and we'll start in verse number six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, this was the man at the pool of Bethesda. He said to him, do you want to be made well? That's a great question. Um, We'll keep reading here in just a second. But that same Savior, just like we looked last night at at a Savior who who said, what do you want me to do for you? Um, This is the same Savior that's here today who would say, do you want to be made well? And, And let me please tell you, I see people all over North America, and I'm talking about devout, earnest, admirable Christians, and the Lord is bringing them to the place in their life where they're hungering after God and they're saying, Lord, make me well, make me well. Some of you were telling me that this morning, not in those exact words, but some of you, even with tears in your eyes, said, the Lord has shown me where I am. The Lord has shown me what I need. Would you please pray for me for a spiritual breakthrough? I had multiple conversations today to that end. And then you know what else happens? This amazes me. Um, there are people that are saying, Lord, make me well. I want everything right. Make me well. And then you know what else happens? You, you preach the word of God and you go over to dinner at somebody's house and you love them and they love you, right? Everything is great in the relationship. And after dinner, you have a cup of tea in your hand and you're sitting there, you're talking with them after dinner and they begin to tell you all the reasons why they can't, they can't fathom um, oh Lord help me. How do I even say this? They begin to tell you all the reasons why they're not willing to budge from a compromised Christian life with a smile on their face. And it doesn't change the fact that I love them. It doesn't change the fact that they love me, but they're telling you the reasons, right? This, but this, but this, but this, they're just giving you all the reasons why they're not going to be moved by the word of God. And so I do just want to pause here just for a second. And on behalf of Jesus Christ, whom I'm supposed to stand up here and represent, I just want to say, do you want to be made well? Now, I hear your hearts. Please believe me. And I hear your prayers. And I praise God for that. Right? I think very, very highly of this assembly. I rejoice in this assembly. It's a huge privilege to be here. Right? So in that context, on that foundation, representing Christ, like I just want to ask this from Christ to every individual person in the room. Do you want to be made well? Boy, he blows your mind. This is so awesome. When you when you come to his feet consistently, I call it the school of prayer. But when you come and you sit there at his feet, the things that he teaches you are mind-blowing. The things he leads you into are 
are mind-blowing. They're life-changing. They're soul-enrapturing. You taste eternity in that quiet place with Him. And so, man, if you if you just show up, like Dan was saying, show up. I don't remember the language he used, but man, just show up for the date, right? He, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and sup with Him and He with me, fellowship with Him. Just show up every day. Just show up. We've got a Savior that wants to spend time with us every day. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there was once upon a time I noticed Lynn and I prayed about it and all the rest of it. And, and when I went up to her eventually and wanted to spend time with her and then she responded and wanted to spend time with me, you better believe that was a good day in my life. <laughs> and we've got a Savior in Jesus Christ the Lord that wants to spend time with us. So, man, show up for the day. Do you want to be made well? That's a fundamental question in this journey. Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but I am when I am coming, another steps down before me. By the way, you notice what happened there? He's throwing up objections, right? Right? He doesn't recognize he's he he sees the the hindrances to him being made well, but he doesn't see the capability of the one that's standing right in front of him yet. And that's the same as this journey that we're describing too. Um, oftentimes we see hindrances to what to what our heart longs for, but boy, we need to just look at the capability of the one that's standing in front of us and trust in him. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now let's skip down if you would to verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I also have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he sees or sorry whatever he does the son also does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay, let's just briefly pray. Lord, this is session number three. We've been sitting for some time. Uh, we need your help. We need your grace. We need the power of the Spirit of God so that we can mentally absorb what you want us to see. Uh, we need the power of the Spirit of God so that lives will be changed. Lord, um, you know what to do in this room. And so we invite that. Uh, we love that you are the shepherd that you are. We love that you're the teacher that you are. We love that, that you are um, so tender, so delicate. You would never injure a, shirt, a sheep. And yet your hunger for the people of God is greater than ours. You're longing for the people of God to come into all that you have in your mind and heart for them. Your desire to use the people of God, it's perfect. Lord, we commit this session to you. We earnestly ask your name, uh, ask, excuse me, ask for your help in your name. Amen.
Okay, so I have seven observations from the text that, that I want to make. Observation number one, these are going to come straight out of the text. No creativity whatsoever. Observation number one, uh, point number one, the father has been working until now. Now, when you look at this in its context, that's why we did the reading that we did. So Jesus Christ comes into the city. There's the pool of Bethesda. He walks right up to a man on the Sabbath and says, do you want to be made well? Man throws up objections. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Um, people notice that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And so because he healed on the Sabbath, they say in verse 16, for this reason, that's the healing on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So point number one is really the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ to the objection that was that was thrown toward him. Does that make sense? So he's answering this objection. So let's think this through. This is so instructive. Let's think this through. Did Jesus Christ offend God by healing on the Sabbath? No. Right, that's theology 101. <laughs> so that's pretty simple. He didn't offend God. Did he offend the religiously minded Jews? Yes. Okay, so he offended the Jews, but he did not offend God. Why? They had taken a principle, right, the Sabbath principle, and they had built upon it so many religious rules that the Lord Jesus did offend their religious practices Although we know emphatically, like we would go to the death for such things, that he never sinned against God, that he never uh, offended God. So he offended religious practice, but he did not offend God. So I have I have two prayer requests um, based on what we see right here in the text. Prayer request number one is personal. If, no, sorry, when the living God moves in his power in our day, would you please pray for yourselves? Um, that you will recognize that it's the living God. And what I mean by that is you see the exact same thing that happens here. You see it four chapters later in John chapter 9. And they're actually proving, like to themselves, they're proving that Jesus Christ is not of God. They say, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And so would you please pray for yourselves that when the Lord moves in his power, and he will, we'll talk about this in just a second, he is, and he will. We're seeing the first fruits of it right now. Like he is coming in his power. When he does that, please pray that, that you'll recognize it, that we'll recognize it. And then my second prayer request, and I would be more burdened about this, and I mean this. If you love the Lord, if you love his people, would you please pray with me that God's people will recognize it? when the Lord moves in his power, that people won't use the scriptures. Like they're using religious thinking to prove in John 5 and John 9 that Jesus Christ is not of God. You see this, by the way, if you read, you see this all the time. In historical revival, the Lord starts to move in his power. A certain segment of, sometimes people are against it, the entire revival, Right? And so just please pray for the people of God that, that they will see it. Um, now, my father has been working until now. That's the Lord Jesus answer, right? He's basically saying there's somebody that's way important than me, right? In terms of hierarchical authority, there's somebody that's more important than me that has been working until now. Since the fall of mankind, my father has been working, 
right? So you think you're watching me working, right? The father has been working until now. In other words, I am not willing to let this man lie sick for one more day, even though it's the Sabbath. Is it not right that I heal this man? And and so the Lord Jesus is making a case here. My father has been working until now. Now, I want to take this opportunity to throw out um, this truth. And I, I, I love this. I have never been more excited in all of my life to follow after God. I've never been more eager to forsake everything and follow after Christ. Um, I've never been more hopeful in all my life. And please understand, it's not hopeful like a little kid who's hopeful to win a baseball game, right? This is hopeful like a biblical hope. And, and I want to say that I, there are four reasons why I know that the living God is moving in our day. Um, the first one is exactly what you see here. It's the character of God. My father has been working until now. Is the father working in this community? Yes, he is, right? Does he want to use you to work in this community? Yes, he does. Like we know his character. Is the father working in North America? Yes, I find this so encouraging. It is his very character, right? So we know the, the character of God um, that is, is the basis of, of much hope. We should be so hopeful because of the character of God. Number two, the word of God. We started out six or seven years ago earnestly praying for revival. And when I say earnestly, I mean every day fervently laboring for revival. Eventually on that path, the Lord said, you're praying for the wrong thing. And I was like, what? Um, and he's don't, don't seek a benefit of Christ, seek Christ. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense, right? Don't just seek a side benefit. Like what is revival? A newfound conformity to the word. And so not only am I encouraged by the character of God, I'm encouraged by the word of God. Is it the will of God for the bride to be conformed to the word of God? Yes, right? That's revival. It's God moving in his power, a people saturated with God. That's what he's doing right now. He's doing that in North America right now. We just see the first fruits of it. And so the character of God, the word of God, and then I love this, right? The burden of God. When you walk with God every day, we'll look at scriptures. One will be in this, and then we'll look at two other scriptures later on in this message. But when you walk with God every day, he shares his mind with you. He shares his heart with you. And the burdens that he gives you, you can see his heart. You can see what he's thinking. When he wakes you up in the middle of the night in Scotland, what does he want you to pray for for two hours in the middle of the night? That is his heart, right? That is his heart for Scotland. And then when you see that, right, and you feel so sick, right, it's called travail. It's from the book of James. Elijah prayed in his praying. He earnestly prayed in his praying, right? You can see the same thing in Hannah. You see many beautiful examples in the word of God. You feel this sick, right, this burden, right? It's pray or die, and that's no exaggeration at all. This burden from the Lord comes on you, and it, you have to pray. And so you just pray. There's an agony to it. There's an anguish to it. And you just, you just, uh, Lord, teach me how to say this. I mean, I don't know another way to say it. You, yeah, I'm, I don't know another way to say it. I'm sorry. You, it's, you, it, ah, sorry. Okay, here. You ready? It's, it's, it's like vomiting. It's, um, I shouldn't say that because Satan imitates it, right? Um, it's a burden that you feel sick and the you would die, pray or die. 
And so you just, you, you hurl forth th- this prayer. Like you just, you just must pray in the presence of God. It's called travail. And, um, and then when you get to the end of, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's three hours, but you get to the end of the time that the living God has you to travail in prayer and the burden is just gone. Just We'll talk twice tomorrow in the will of the Lord. We'll talk about praying in the spirit, praying as directed by the spirit, praying as empowered by the spirit. We'll look at where the scripture says that in Ephesians. We'll look at where the scripture says that in Jude. We'll pick each of those phrases apart in their context. And hopefully this will become more clear. What I'm saying today is that when the Lord wakes you up in Scotland and when the Lord says pray for revival in Scotland and when the burden is so great that you feel like you're going to be crushed by it and you must pray and then you just Lord, please teach me a better way to say it. You just you just you just you pour these prayers out. That's probably the best way to say it. You pour these prayers out before the Lord and then the burden is gone. What you learn from that is what did the living God want you to labor for? What is he doing, right? And that gives me so much hope. So the character of God, the word of God, um, the burden of God, and then number four, the assurance of God. And what I mean by that, I didn't even know this existed years ago, um, but you can pray when you're praying in the spirit, there will be times when you, where you pray until you get an answer. And you can actually receive God's assurance of his answered prayer in that time of prayer. Hudson Taylor's conversion. Do you guys know that story? It's beautiful, right? So he's a teenage boy. His mother's away on a trip. She gets this incredible burden from the Lord. This is what I'm describing, right? She gets this incredible burden from the Lord. Again, you see this so many different places in the scripture. Like when God is about to move, this is one thing that he does is he, he gives birth to the next work of God through the travail of prayer. So she's away on a trip. She gets this incredible burden from the Lord. She goes into her room down on her knees. She locks the door. She says, Lord, I'm going to pray until I get an answer. And she labors in prayer for the salvation of her son, her teenage son, Hudson Taylor. He was 80 miles away, uh, walking around the house. He found a gospel tract, opened it up, came under tremendous conviction, went to his room. She's 80 miles away on her knees, like laboring in prayer for her son. He comes to the place where he sees his guilt. He believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. And, And the Lord tells her on her knees, it is done right? That's praying until you get God's assurance. Now, if that's driven by us, it's nothing. If it's driven by the spirit of God, it's beautiful and it's everything. That's praying in the spirit. It's just one example of praying in the spirit. Twice in the New Testament uses that phrase. And so, so, um, the assurance of God, three men stood up last week at the North American week of prayer. Each time this happened, my wife looked at me like, you know, and like she, cause she hears me say this, Right. So three men stood up last week at the at the North American week of prayer. And one of them was Mike Atwood, who you all know well, and um, would turn to specific scriptures and say, the Lord has get, has used this scripture to assure me of his powerful working in my lifetime. That's what I'm, that's what I'm describing. Right. And so four reasons why I'm overwhelmingly hopeful um, the word of God, the character of God, the burden of God and the assurance of God in this passage. The Lord Jesus says, my father has been working until now. So again, he's defending his working on the Sabbath. But what that actually tells us about God is is incredible. Um, 
He's a hardworking God. This goes right into point number two. Um, I have been working, right? So the Lord Jesus says, I also have been working. That's point number two. Our brother made this point in his prayer. And when he made it in his prayer, I was just like, yes, right? Because that's exactly, I knew that this point was coming. And I'm so happy to make this point. Jesus Christ was a hard worker for God. Amen. Yeah, so anybody speaking on behalf of God would never want the people of God to be anything except Christ-like. Amen? And so um, a wonderful part of that is, a wonderful part of that is hard working. So not only is the Father hard working, but Jesus Christ is is overwhelmingly hard working. The Apostle Paul was hard working. You quoted it in your prayer, and I have it right here in my notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a wonderful encouragement, right? We want, we need to be, um, we need to be a hard working people. What I left out of that was the Christ-like attribute of going off to the mountains to pray. So that's why I'm emphasizing that to such a great degree these days, because I had this Christ-like attribute, which praise God for that, right? I did work hard. Like, that's an honest testimony. Um, but I lacked this Christ-like attribute, and the Lord has had to add that uh, to the puzzle. So Jesus Christ was hard, was hard working. Now, after he says... My father has been working. I have been working. Notice what they do. Verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, again, this is so beautiful. Um, Jesus Christ makes a statement. The Jews correctly understand it, that he's implying the statement implies that he's equal with the father. And then now they really want to kill him, right? So they're up in the ante. Now let's think this through. Um, today, if I happen to make a statement up here that gave the general impression, I know this is ridiculous, but I hope it'll help to serve a point. If I gave the general impression that I was under the, the thought that Scott DeGroff was equal with God. And if you came up to me afterwards and you said, brother, we're a little concerned about this. Um, we just wanted to ask you about this. Like you gave the general impression to God's people that you're equal with God. How would you expect me to respond to that? This is actually quite important. I would fall all over myself, right? I would backpedal as quickly as possible and fall all over myself to say, what on earth did I say that gave that impression? And I would instantly publicly apologize. I would instantly do that, right? Now, look at what Jesus Christ does. I love this. So they get the impression that he's indicating that he's equal with God. They want to kill him because of it. And look what Jesus Christ does. This is from J. Sidlow Baxter. He claims equality in seven particulars. He's equal in working. Number one, what things soever the father does, this doeth the son likewise. He's equal in knowing for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he does. He's equal in resurrecting for the, this is all this passage, by the way, for the father raises, uh, raiseth up the dead. So the son quickeneth whom he will. He's equal in judging, for the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He's equal in honor, I love this, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He's equal in regenerating. He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me is passed from death to life. 
And then number seven, he's equal in self-existence. For as the father has life in himself, so he is given to the son to have life in himself. So, so he does the exact opposite of what any one of us would do. We would backpedal as quickly as possible. And the Lord Jesus goes, boom, right? You think that's bad? Boom. He adds a second. You think that's bad? Boom. A third. You think that's bad? Boom. A fourth, right? All the way to seven reasons why he's equal with God. And let me please highlight, um, our Muslim friends, they need this passage. Right? They don't believe this, that Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. They need this, right? Our Jehovah's Witness friends, they need this. And by the way, this works. You know, my wife did this at our front door with two Jehovah's Witnesses not long ago, and they were just stumped. They did not have a response, right? She showed them this, right? They said, she said, we have a different Jesus. They said, well, what do you mean? They, she said, well, you believe this is who Jesus is. We believe this is who Jesus is. And, and they said, well, can you show us? And she showed them this, right? And they had nothing to say, right? Seven reasons why Christ lays out. So this is so, this is so essential, um, such essential teaching. So he says, the father has been working until now. I also have been working. So point one, point two, point three is verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. The son can do nothing of himself. That's, that's point number three. This is, um, this is a massive failure in my life. Massive, massive failure in my life. In fact, I'm still, I'm still very much learning this. It's a delight to learn it, but this is a, like when I'm saying that, that I lived a Scott driven life, even in a, in the context of serving God, this is what I mean. The son lived in such intimacy with the father that he knew what the father was doing and he entered into that work with the father. I chose a life of distance rather than a life of intimacy. And so when a group would call, I did pray about it. But when a group would call, basically, I would pray about it very quickly. I don't honestly know if my prayer was bouncing off the ceiling or if it was getting through, but I would pray about it. Um, and then if my schedule was open on the weekend that they were calling for, then I was in, basically. And that's how I got scheduled out to three and a half, almost four years at one point, that I was just accepting invitations. And I wasn't completely prayerless. Like, I, that's, that wouldn't be the truth. But, but I did not have the maturity or the intimacy to live a Christ-like life and to go about my service for the Father the way that you see Jesus Christ going about His service for the Father in this passage. Does that make sense? So He says the Son can do nothing of Himself, right? So only what He saw the Father do. By the way, I massively admire this about Christ. He would not cry out nor raise his voice in the streets, right? He wasn't, he didn't grab a bullhorn and scream at people all over Israel. He didn't chase Jews all over Israel, right? There was a, a rest about him. There was a peace about him because he lived in intimacy with the father empowered by like Luke chapter four. He was filled with the spirit. He came in the power of the spirit. He was led by the spirit. That's all in, in Luke chapter four. And so because of those two things, he was totally at peace. What did he do? He did the things that the father wanted him to do. There's a book called Crazy Busy that I read on a flight to Europe years ago. And my favorite line from the book is Jesus Christ did not do everything, but he did everything the father asked him to. Yeah. And that is so essential, right? Every friend that I know 
is trying to grow into this Christ-like attribute. And they all basically say that there was far too much of us in our service in the past, and we're begging God to teach us how to live in in this Christ-like way. Now, if you're thinking this through, the Father's been working, the Son is also working, the Son does nothing of himself. Um, Point number four is he only does what he sees the Father do. That's in verse 19 as well, what he sees the Father do. Now, if you're thinking this through, then you ask yourself the question, how on earth would I know? How on earth would I know? And the answer to that is intimacy. And we'll see it in the passage here in just a second. When you walk intimately with the Father, then you know. You see his hand. And when he shows you something, that's his invitation for you to enter into that work with him. That's what happened in this passage. It's happening right in front of our eyes, right here in in this story. So so intimacy um, and maturity is what we see lived out in in Christ like in Christ's life. Um, point number five: the Son also does in like manner. That's the first or the fifth. The fifth point: the Son also does. So the son does nothing of himself, point three. What he sees the father do, point four. The son also does, point five. I I love spiritual leaders. Um, I love it when they lead spiritually. Uh, I just delight in that. There's a man on the west coast of Canada. They were They were fervently reaching out from their local church onto a college campus, and they spent two years trying to reach out with the gospel on a college campus. Um, and they actually felt directed by God to do this work. And so they were busy doing the physical activity that they felt that God had led them to. I, I love this. Um, he was troubled because after two years, there was a fruitlessness about the effort that really troubled him as a spiritual leader. And so the way he responded to that was he went into his prayer closet and he said, Lord, something seems to be wrong. And so he began to pray and say, Lord, would you please show me what's wrong? And the Lord gave him two scriptures. And so he called the workers together. They were mostly from a college group in their local church. He called the workers together and he said, we're going to, we're going to make a shift. He said, tomorrow, when you go onto the college campus, he said, this is all I want you to do, right? Don't go about the physical activity that you've been doing for the Lord. All I want you to do is walk with the Lord with a prayerful attitude that whatever the Lord, the Father is doing, that he would show you what he's doing. And then he says, he says, please, when the Lord shows you what he's doing, drop everything and enter into it with him. So the next day, after two years of effort, the next day, these kids go back out onto the college campus. This girl is on her way to class and someone walks up to her taps her on the shoulder, stops her and says, I think you're a Christian. Is that true? And she said, yes, that is true. And the girl says, there are eight of us that, that have Bibles and have been reading them, but we cannot understand um, what we're reading. Would you be willing to come help us understand right the next day? I just love this, right? And so instead of trying to do something for God, they shifted strategy and they were depending on the Lord to see what he was doing. Does that make sense? Right? And this is, it's a beautiful example that Christ set. Um, 
you live in intimacy with the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Um, you look for what He's doing, and then you enter into it with Him. By the way, in coming days, they had three evangelistic Bible studies on the college campus. Again, I just love it when spiritual leaders lead spiritually. It delights my heart. By the way, I see that all the time, spiritual leaders leading spiritually, and it's an, it's an utter delight to my heart. Okay, point number six. The Father loves the Son. That's verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. And then I'm going to go ahead and go to point seven. And shows him all things. So I'm going to combine those two points. The Father loves the Son and shows him all. So what did that love relationship produce between Father and Son? According to Jesus Christ. The Son could see what the Father was doing. Right? He shows him all. He, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. Now, you trace this through the scripture. There's a verse. You can turn to this if you want. This has become incredibly precious to me. It's in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3. You don't have to turn, of course. But Amos chapter 3 and verse number 7. At least jot down the reference. I love this verse. Amos 3 and verse number 7. It says this, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So that's the character of God. When God is going to do something, he shows the people that walk intimately with him. In this context, in this dispensation, that was the prophets. Does this carry over to a New Testament context? Well, we just saw in John chapter 5, in the life of Christ, is it limited to Christ? Well, look at John chapter 15, if you would. John chapter 15, and verse number 15. John 15, 15 says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. So notice in this context of John 15, abiding in the vine, you'll bear much fruit, abide in the vine. Notice that, that, um, Prayer, a, a proper prayer life. Anything you ask will be granted, right? It comes from abiding, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Abide in the vine. What else happens? He treats you like a friend. And so when you have a friendship with God, by the way, that's basically what I'm saying is that I chose the role of a servant rather than the role of a friend, right? Christ says, no longer do I call you servants, right? I call you friends. A servant doesn't know. It has to do with knowledge. A servant doesn't know, but a friend knows. And so when you walk with God, he reveals his heart to you. He reveals his mind to you. So not only in Amos 3 does it say, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. You can see it as a theme that goes through scriptures. And it is so beautiful to walk with God as a friend walks with a friend every day to know his burden, to know his heart. Yeah, this is, this is life. I mean, this is life. Like this is why Dan would say, I'd rather die. Then go back. Why Michael Williams, the director of Turkey Hill Ranch Bible Camp, would say, I would rather die. Michael's an admirable, Micah is an admirable servant of God. He's a hardworking servant of God. 
He was that in high school. He was that in college. He, he's the, now the director of Turkey Hill in the Midwest. Like, this is an admirable servant of God. And he would stand here. I wish he was here this weekend. And he would say, um, I would rather die than going back to the way I lived my Christian life three years ago. And this is why. Because he has discovered a friendship with God. He's discovered intimacy with God. This is so beautiful. Every day I sit in the Lord's presence. And I talk with him. And then he responds back through the word of God, through prayer, through the church, through circumstances, right? He has myriads of ways of communicating. And so you talk with him, he talks back. And when he does that, every day it blows my mind, every day. And I just, I mean, literally every day I just say, Lord, I can't believe this. A real friendship with you? I mean, before I chose the role of a servant. And that's what my relationship with him was like. He was Lord, I was servant. And then finally, he, he said, Scott, I've got something entirely better, right? No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. And he, he allowed me to get sick. He made me sit down and he taught me to walk with him. So this is the way Christ did it, right? The father has been working until now. I also have been working. The son does nothing of himself, complete dependence on the Lord. What he sees the father do, if you're not close to him, you can't see Right. If you guys just walk out that door and to the left, I can no longer see you. You have to be close to him in order to see what he's doing. Whatever he sees the father do, that's what the son does. So that defines our service and how he leads us. The father loves the son. What does that produce? Intimacy of knowledge. Application. Personal. We must walk with God and learn in Christ's school. We must walk with God and learn in Christ's school. Family applications. Fathers, this is what we're looking right here in this passage. This is the only proper way to lead a family. The only proper way to lead a family is... Uh, families need a man uh, to be led by a man that walks with God. Parents together. A spirit-filled home, or I mean, technically speaking, a home that's indwelt by two spirit-filled people is a radically different home than a carnal home. Our kids need us to walk with God. Um, local church, this is the way forward. What we see in this passage, this is the way forward for, for God. Intimacy. The Lord is restoring Christ to his proper place. Why? Because a church that's full of Christ is an unstoppable force. All, he is the fulfillment of all of our prayers. He's the answer, right? To the lack of power. He's the answer to the lack of fruit. He's the answer, right? He is the way. He's the truth. He is life. Not just a gospel verse, right? But true now as well. So, Lord, help us. Father, we just want to lay this at your feet. And um, Lord, please, anything that was confusing, anything that wasn't helpful. Um, Lord, obviously, um, I don't always know how to communicate the things that you've, that you're doing. Lord, my my walk with you, my experience with you is is at the 40 yard line and then my my biblical understanding of that experience is at the 30 yard line and then my my ability to articulate my biblical understanding of what you're doing is at the 20 yard line Um, lord i'm growing i wouldn't trade that for anything in the world but please i pray that you would take these truths and make them so clear lord please show the people of god in this room how to apply the things that we've looked at Lord, I know that that in the past, um, 
I studied the Word of God uh, to to some extent. I knew the Word of God. I filled my life up zealously with things that fit with the Word of God, even to the point of idolatry. I did that, Lord. Um, and now you've taught a completely different way. You've taught so much a better way. And I long for this, Lord. I see it right there in the passage. The Lord Jesus sets such a beautiful example. His service flowed out of intimacy with the Father. His service flowed out of an empowerment of the Spirit. Um, Lord, if we lose that connection, again, John 15, abide in the vine and you'll bear much fruit. Abide in the vine and your fruit will remain. Abide in the vine and you'll have a proper prayer life. Abide in the vine and, and the Lord Jesus will share his mind with you, his heart with you. Lord, it's so clear to see in your scriptures that that intimacy is that from which flows a proper Christian life. Lord, how much of my service will burn because I chose activity over intimacy? Lord, it must it must be activity that flows out of intimacy. That's a Christ-like life. Lord, please, it, when it comes down to it, we need your help. We need wisdom, Lord. When do we say no to the needs that we see around us so that we can go off to the mountains to pray? No matter who understands it, no matter who doesn't understand it. Not everybody understood Christ. In fact, a Christ-like life, by definition, a Christ-like life is a life that will be misunderstood by religiously-minded people. So Lord, please give wisdom in this room. Show us when we need to go off by ourselves to pray and what that looks like. Show the husbands what that looks like. Show the wives what that looks like. Show the teenagers what that looks like. Show the singles what that looks like. Lord, every person in this room is deeply cherished by you and you are so satisfying. You are enough to fill up to overflowing every person in this room. We do not doubt that, Lord. The hollow aches that we feel. Those were meant to be satisfied by you. So Lord, please, I, I pray that husbands and wives would cooperate together so that they both have the opportunity that, they, that we desperately need to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, please take the word of God, apply it to our lives. Um, we commit this time to you, Lord. This is, this is the time for the people to answer back to you, to respond to what you've shown from your word. We commit that to you and pray that it would just be what you want it to be, very simply. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.